Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys, and this is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes with way different jobs, different lives, but a lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We're your hosts. I'm P.S. McKay, coming to you from a place of contrition, where a slip of my mind almost caused D.T. to have a very complicated conversation about a very inappropriate scene. I'm T.T. Cavman, and I'm coming from a place of righteous indignation. (laughs) And you're not wrong. You're not wrong. (laughs) Well, before we dive into that, I do want to bring up one thing. We need to go ahead and and make a quick salute to the passing of a sci-fi icon. The late, great Dean Stockwell just passed this weekend. Oh my god. We talked about Quantum Leap. We did. But he has plenty of other sci fi cred with his key role in the Battlestar Galactica reboot. Mm -hmm. And of course, with Quantum Leap, he was also had a recurring role in the TV series Jag, also Belisario. Yep. You discussed that. Sunday, Belisario. So this guy has had some, you know, he. When when creators have their staple of actors who they like to haul in, but Dean Stockwell, uh, you know, his was a, been nominated for an Academy Award. He played gangsters. He played. Uh, what well, it was a recent nomination too, wasn't it? Was it? Uh, oh, it was in the eighties. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. He was in a recent movie though that was Academy Award nominated. I guess. I think. Recent error. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. I mean, no, I, I, I mean, and I've seen him in a lot of other things as well. Uh, you know, I saw him play General Sheridan in the miniseries Son of the Morning Star. Thought that mm-hmm. was, I did a pretty good job there. And of course, he's always had, you know, particularly later in his career, people have liked to bring him in as a heavy, you know, because he's got that kind of crotchety, uh, <laughs> he could you know. have that crotchety he could easily flip it on right. as opposed to Al who was this uh, womanizing fun loving <laughs> but Al was great yes and it, it, but Al that goes and it shows his range you know I'm just exactly <laughs> his most recent movie were the last two movies you were in was in 2016 and 2015 respectively. So which ones were they? Max Rose in 2016 and Entertainment in 2015. Uh-huh. I have no idea what they are. Yeah, they could be Canadian. Um, no, but pretty. I had no idea he was 85 years old. I mean, th- this is the problem. The 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 actors that we grew up with who are already beyond middle age let's be honest i guess 50 years old is beyond middle age or i don't know are we oh, look man i mean we, this do guy, we feel comfortable saying that now <laughs> this guy was, was a child actor we got to remember yeah. that I mean, he was starring in movies with you know he i mean he he was in an abbott and costello movie he was in he was in movies with errol flynn i mean it it's it's uh I mean his career is ridiculous. 
fantastic, but you know, he he's got a chance to spend time in movies with some legendary actors. You know, as a as a child actor, it's really kind of hard to to argue with it. You know, he was in a movie with Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly. It was in an Abbott Costello movie. This guy actually did act in what people would have termed as the golden age of Hollywood, but he was a child actor, you know, so he's fascinating. I always enjoyed him, though. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Just another... Another one, another one gone. Another, another legendary person of our childhood and our, our, our upbringing. Just no more. Well, and unfortunately, that happens with, with, with us as we get up in age. So do the people we enjoy. So, and I thought about this when you texted me that notification at the. Oh, so delicate hour of five ten a.m. this morning. I'm um, sorry, I thought it was, I thought it was later <laughs> my time. Um, it's okay. I wasn't sleeping very well last night, um, or this morning, if you will. However, it makes me wonder because ever since I don't know, how did you handle Leonard Nimoy passing away? Well, I was in Saudi Arabia at the time, and. I mean, here's the thing. I you get. I guess you get a little more shocked when people, even icons, mm-hmm. but when they're younger. Okay, it's more shocking. Sean Connery dying in his nineties sucked, but the guy had retired from acting like almost twenty years before he died. Right. Right. But, you know, he was in his 90s. He was, I guess, suffering from some dementia. But he died, right? And that's, you know, he's a nice screen icon, right? Mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas lived to be well over 100. Kirk know? Douglas is a is a bit of a lightning rod right now for other reasons, though. So, but... Um... But my point is, is that, yeah, I mean... When it, I when cried it really like a baby to, when Leonard Nimoy died. I'm going to be honest with you. I'll say this. Uh, it affected me. I did not me. cry when, when Leonard died, but it, you know, it took, some, it took some of the wind out of your sails a little bit when you're as rabid Star Trek fans as we are. But I also uh, started, I really appreciated a lot of the other work that Leonard Nimoy did. You know, he really did try to branch out from being... Spock, oh, particularly sure. in, oh. in his anti-Spock phase. <sighs> but the <laughs> the older he got, the, it just that voice, it just sounded like wisdom, you mm-hmm. know. It was comfort. It was it was it was all it was a bit of all right. I know, yeah. and so it's one of those things where you know it, it, you feel. I definitely felt sad. I, you know, I got to meet him. 
yes, you remember. I, I seem to recall you, yes. I, I met him. I met him at um, in April of '97 or May of '97. Um, a long time ago. Very nice man. Um, yeah, he was. He was. He was the. <laughs> Uh, what do you call him? He was the speaker at the graduation. He was getting he was getting an honorary doctorate. Speaker. Huh? He was a commencement speaker. Commence. He was a commencement speaker. Thank you. And he was getting an honorary doctorate doctorate from New England Tech. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about his time in Boston, how he. Oh, and he was in either Washington or L.A. as a cab driver, and JFK got into his got got into his cab before. You know, he was anywhere close to being president. And he well, goes, he's well, still a senator, he recognized him. He goes, well, Senator, how's how's life back in Massachusetts? I'm from there. <laughs> and then they had this, this spirited back and forth during that um, that ride, which I, I found a delightful story, you know. Um, but yeah, like when I found out he died, I had to just stop everything I was doing and just go for a walk. And then people actually, my dad of all people, um, who hated sci-fi, he just found everything sci-fi just a waste of time and whatnot. He actually texted me on the day he died, and he goes, "Are you okay? How are you doing?" I figured I just found out, and I found that nice. Like, <laughs> like he immediately knew that I was going to be affected by that, which was, which was interesting. And I have no idea how I'm going to be able to handle the onslaught of, God forbid, William Shatner and the Next Generation, which is an inevitability because time is the fire by which we burn. Thank you, Soren. <laughs> I believe time is like a companion. Time is like a companion. God damn it. Hoovian. Well, you dropped the sword and I went with the Picard. (laughs) Yes, not on. uh, Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, uh, some people who I I, uh, very recently in the last three, four months with some people who uh, celebrities, really, several of them, and others were more career-focused, but we lost Norm MacDonald, who we already talked about, Loved, always loved his comedy, and I, you know, I'll still find myself going down a Norm rabbit hole. Um, it's fascinating when you listen to other comedians, when comedians talk about other comedians, and uh, I, I love doing that. I think it's when they talk about, you know, people's approach or how this person didn't give a shit about this or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then we had back-to-back big ones for me with the loss of General Ray Odierno, uh, who had been commander of, uh, well, he'd been chief of staff of the Army at the end. But I crossed, my career crossed paths, no, no physical crossing paths with him. Um, but I passed under his command, you know, mm-hmm. twice. So it was, um, and then of course, for that chunk of time when he was the chief of staff of the army, and of course <laughs> I technically was under his command. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, you know, he, 
he was just leaving Fort Hood when I first arrived to Fort Hood in the early 2000s. And the man cast a big shadow, both physically and metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we lost Colin Powell, who is a man I looked up to my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, read a, yeah, you know, read a young yeah. autobiography of him. You know, just very, very impactful individual for mm-hmm. for my youth and for my determination to serve. That and then uh, only, uh, you know, about a week ago, we lose who for me is the, the voice of baseball. Jerry Remy, the great Red Sox color man for, you know, the Nesson broadcast, who mm-hmm. had literally been doing Red Sox games for probably as long as I've been honestly listening to them you know i mean when we were little maybe not but you know in the 90s i think you know, they said for the last 40 years didn't they well he spent roughly 40 years in with either nesson or the red sox organization which yeah they're both owned by the same people so right in the organization right so that that it was, it was and we knew he was sick He'd been battling cancer like a half a dozen times over the last 15 years or something. So, God, I mean, and, and that's like, that, that's for. a like, right. If you, but that comes, <laughs> that's coming out of your memory, right? I mean, going, hearing, I hate listening to other people. Now, there's a few guys on Nesson who I don't <laughs> mind, but I hate when I have to listen to somebody else's broadcast Joe because. Well, yeah, especially <laughs> most of the other baseball, you know, even the regional guys for Cleveland, Baltimore, all these other areas I lived in, they're so dull and they're so dry. And a lot of them don't even seem like they don't even seem to bother to memorize their own players' names. The we, have gotten guys, to a, we, we have gotten to a level at that point, though, the where Nesson the majority of those that, local broadcasters are at a place where they're you know closer to retirement than not well and they have the, shortcuts right but the nesson guys and the yes guys the yankee guys are pretty square too as much as i hate and i don't like listening to them but they know their stuff so i'll give them that but you know it's it was just it's, it's very impactful when you think about it you know you lose these people who like it's, it, jerry remy was like in our house you know, playing yeah, like an imprint in your times life. a year or, you know, or more. You know, we watched as many of the games as we could when we got the baseball package. So me and the missus would hear that voice a lot of the time. So, you know, it's kind of like when Alex Trebek died, too. You know, we're big Jeopardy fans. And yeah, we lost. it's just oh weird God, to hear Johnny Gilbert announce anybody but Alex Trebek. Mm-hmm. And seeing a lot of these people up on the stage, and you're like, why the fuck are you on? <laughs> I mean, basically, once I, I we're very frustrated because it really needs to be LeVar Burton. I just that's just me. I agree. No, the way the way that's a whole other subject for another day. But the way Jeopardy production handled that search was it was a sham basically that that, that it, it was a sham and we're, we'll go too far down a rabbit hole on that one yeah. i got a lot of issues with that one <laughs> but <laughs> why don't we stay on topic is going to be you're going to give us the stargate 101 
basically more of the series. So let me preface by the fact that saying I did see the movie. I did enjoy the movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it was a good movie. At your behest, I did this weekend uh, dive into the first few episodes of SG-1. And <laughs> the first few, the first few. Look well, at you. I mean, the pilot is a two hour pilot. And you know mm-hmm. my opinion. These big sci fi franchises, I think they should have them. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I'll say this Stargate SG-1's pilot. Is Which is a direct sequel to the movie. Yet what I was going to say is oh, it, it <laughs> feels like an actual literal sequel to yes. the movie. Like sometimes it's like, OK, well, here's the Stargate, but we don't have the rights. to the, So we've made up a new character or something. Right. You'll get mm-hmm. those sometimes or. But they essentially pitched this as a, as a what might have been a plot for a sequel, because I guess there were sequels planned originally and so maybe that's it was a whole trilogy planned which there still technically is the rest of the trilogy to be planned by roland emmerich which won't do anything with the move with the tv shows but that's another thing for another day but i'll give the big thumbs up on the fact that it was a direct follow-up following up the events of the first movie so in some ways you can kind of consider the pilot (laughs) Uh, of SG-1 to be a sequel movie to the original Stargate. Yes. So, I'll start off by introducing this. So, Stargate SG-1 came to me at a very precarious time in my life. An interesting couple um, nexuses, if you will. You use this analogy a lot when we talk about our shows. Yes, I overuse it. (laughs) So I remember reading the day that I left our neighborhood. The day that I left our neighborhood, I was in my new room in um, this. Barrington, right? No, 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 no. Schmerington. The the town of Schmerington. It's close. It's nearby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. what a bastard there. <laughs> <laughs> no, quite delightful town, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> um, but I'm in my room, and I, had, I one of the few things that I had unpacked was the recent TV Guide, because, you know, I had a TV Guide subscription. And I saw that they were interviewing yeah. the Brad Wright um, about the new Stargate show that was coming out. And I was reading about it, and I go, well, that's a stupid idea. Because I saw the pictures of the, the the Jaffa wearing the snake helmets. And I'm like, well, that's just stupid, low-quality crap. And it only was compounded by my bad attitude at that point from where, <laughs> where I was. Oh, and it was on Showtime only at that point. So yeah. <laughs> that was that was and that's going to come up later folks um, yeah when i have <laughs> i gotta have words with you yes well i completely forgot uh, anyway so fast forward to just a little over a year later when my life is about to completely change and um i really can't go into it too much but like nothing but awesome things are about to happen 
And it was December 11th of 1998. I'm getting ready for the school dance. And um, I come across on Fox on syndication at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's already getting dark. It's December, right? So it's already dark at 3 o'clock. I remember it was semi-dark. And I saw halfway through this episode of Stargate Children of the Gods. And what caught me was the music. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is that Stargate show. And then I realized, oh, it's the pilot, because my brother comes in and goes, oh, I've been watching this. Uh, it's been on Showtime the last year, because he had Showtime in his basement. I didn't <laughs> in his room. I know. He's like, I've been watching this. It's a good show. You should watch it. I'm like, son of a gun. Uh, That's saying something. because I know. My brother, who is not a sci-fi fan in any way, shape, or form. Who loves this podcast, by the way. He listens. So (laughs) I'm glad he does. Yeah. Is he really Um, just listening to hear me bust your chops? Uh, he'll do anything to have an excuse to hear me my to hear my bo- uh, chops busted. Of course, um, it's his life mission. So <laughs> that's what family is for, my friend. Yes. So well, I remember the music nice. just being overly epic and awesome, and and just inspirational, completely pathos, and that's what hooked me. Mm. And then I tried forever in a day to try to watch this show which i couldn't because i was down and i i've tried many times and then my brother came down in the basement and said uh i, I got some friends or i have a girl over can you just get the hell out and i'm like fine so what he meant to say really folks, was fuck but yeah. <laughs> well, that was not what i was doing um <laughs> so I was in college finally and I was able to download the entire first season I'm sorry what download huh uh uh uh, uh, uh an old was there be something involving pirates <laughs> an old school chum introduced me to his library of uh <laughs> the first season that I was able to procure Hey, look, man, I've already told you that they were selling, you know, bootleg DVDs all over the Middle East. We're overseas. You're overseas. (laughs) College might as well have been like that because there was pirated media everywhere in college, even in even in the late 90s. Oh, my God. So I was able to watch the whole first season um, in college, finally. And my God. I was in a state where Star Trek was in a weird state, but this show just like hit all the right spots and it was funny. Like this was, and this was my tip, my, 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 my pitch to you. This is the MCU before the MCU. Well, I do recall there being at least one or two people who quip a lot. Yes. Yes. And it gets better. And, the pilot, I, I rewatched a little bit. I did a scrub watch of the pilot. And yeah, Colonel O'Neill, played by Richard Dean Anderson, comes oh, off God. as a bit of a dick. 
especially he is to, kind of a dick. Uh, especially to Sam Carter, Captain Sam Carter, Captain Samantha Carter. Let's yep. let's be clear. Um, yep. and let let me go ahead and jump into my first gripe here. All right. Well, we'll go into your impressions. I want to hear it from you because I, I I've I've described Star Stargate before. Um, I've introduced what how I got into it. I want your impressions now. All right. So let me just go over and say overall, not bad. Okay. And you know as well as I do, and anyone else out there. If the pilot is your best episode, you got a clunker of a series. Yes. Okay. Even though this looks like with a, with a sharp script doctor and whatnot, this could have been a legit sequel to the original movie. It still was a legit sequel to the original movie. Yep. Um, there was obviously production value and, well... They dropped Huge down a lot pieces. from right, but they dropped down a lot from Kurt Russell down to you know. I mean, Richard Dean Anderson was like really the only name on the show. Yes, and and I will never knock MacGyver. Okay, Richard Dean Anderson, good actor. In in fact, I didn't mind his snarkiness most of the time uh, in the first. Episode two full episodes, the two hour pilot and the the next episode I watched. Yeah. Do everything you can to skip episode three. Episode three was written by the same woman who did Code of Honor on TNG in the first season. Ew. Oh, it is so bad. It is so Ew. bad. <laughs> it is the exact same situation. It's the exact same thing. Oh, goody. <laughs> Overt racism. It was. It was. The, the, the Mongolians kidnapped Sam Carter. <laughs> well, let me put it to you this way, man. We've, I've watched enough sci-fi to see similar plot points in a lot of episodes and movies. Okay. It's what you do with it, okay? Yep. If you can do a good job of it, I'm not going to mind seeing the same, you know, story. I will say this. Writing, you know, the plot was solid, okay? Should we do a a quick recap of the plot? Do a, you do a quick recap, okay? Of the plot of of the pilot, two-hour pilot. What was it? The porn of the gods? Uh, children, children. It was it was children of the gods. That's an interesting word you chose to Freudian slip there. Anyway, there was no slip, dude. <laughs> All right, two minute two minute recap. Uh, opening shot. We're in the Stargate uh, room. Uh, the Stargate is covered by canvas. There's a bunch of airmen that are playing uh poker um and then the stargate activates ghouls come through the the soldiers with snake heads not eagle heads this time but snake heads come in um uh shoot uh four of the airmen 
grab the one woman that's there and go back through the Stargate. The general Six. comes out, uh, uh, played by, um, oh, God. What's his name? Mr. Clean. Yeah, Mr. Cl- no, it's, uh, uh, God. Uh, Don S. Davis, played by Don yeah. S. Davis. And he sees what would we later learn, the god Apophis. And his eyes glow, and then he walks through the Stargate. All right, uh, they go find Colonel O'Neill, um, and cur- played by Richard Dean Anderson. They bring him back to um, command, and they said, "Hey, um, you blew up Abydos, right? You blew up the, that area and destroyed the Stargate." Yes, I did. Uh, okay, well, we're gonna go make sure it happens again because we had some people come through, and apparently the Mark III atomic bomb didn't work. Uh, don't do that. I used the bomb to blow up Raw. Okay, you're in the brig. Um, and then they have Colonel O'Neill uh, uh, instruct them on how to contact Abydos. On on Abydos, Daniel Jackson, played by David Spader in the movie, is now played by Michael Shanks. Um, I had a really hard time differentiating them uh, back in college. <laughs> by the way. Well, that was before Spader got fat and bald. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, Kurt Russell so, aged a lot better. Of course he did. He's touched by God. So, <laughs> I mean, the guy did act with Elvis and John Wayne. Of course he did. Um, so anyway, they they contact Daniel. Daniel uh, has a lot. Tells them to come on through. They find they're on Abydos. They find a, a room with a whole bunch of hieroglyphs that have a map to the whole galaxy. And they realize that the Stargate is not just one to the other, but a whole network of Stargates. Mm. And then and then Abydos gets attacked by Apophis and Daniel Jackson's wife from the movie is stolen, as is uh, Skara, uh, the, the, the young man that uh, was apprenticed by O'Neill. They're to taken O'Neill to O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah, Apprentice 2 O'Neill. And so uh, the team goes back. They bring Michael Jackson. Uh, sorry, Daniel Jackson. Michael Jackson. Ow! Um, yeah. And then at, at Stargate Command, that's when Don S. Davis says, okay, well, I've been instructed by the, the, the president. We, we're not going to destroy the gate. In fact, this is an opportunity for us to go out there and explore and do some recon to figure out the threat to these Gould. Or to these aliens. I didn't know the ghoul at that time. Um, and uh, also an opportunity to try to get technology. So we're going to make nine SG teams. Colonel O'Neill, you're SG-1. And that's when we're introduced to Sam Carter, who's also a physicist, uh, a, nope. a doctor, doctorate of physics. Nope. She went through with the first team back to Abydos. Oh, she did. You're right. You're right. My bad. You're absolutely right. That's when they and, talk and what about irritated me tonight. all the other teams. Nine, huh? Yeah. N- it was nine 90s. at first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't go with SG9. That would have no. sounded very similar to something else. But <laughs> SG8 and SG9 were actually diplomatic teams. They're like they're like the Cerritos of of Stargate. <laughs> Whatever. Wrap anyway. It up. Okay, okay. You so one of the airmen... Minutes. I know. All right, so one of the airmen that uh, was attacked in the opening scene 
uh, wakes up and points out the different glyphs to, to Apophis's homeworld that he recognized on the on the wheel. And so they go to to try to find their people. Turns out uh, Apophis was finding hosts for his uh, female companion, Gould. Uh, <laughs> the female airman was rejected and then killed by the Gould. Uh, Daniel Jackson's wife was accepted by the Gould and became Apophis's wife. Um, and the Gould are these snakes that inject themselves and attach themselves to the human brainstem and control the, the body and everything. Uh, yeah, it's the parasites. Yep. And then, so uh, O'Neill is, uh, SG-1 is basically taken uh, prisoner. Uh, Apophis's quote, first prime, his main soldier, has, you can see in shots that he's sympathetic to the prisoners. O'Neill can see this. And then at one point, when all the prisoners are about to be killed, O'Neill says, I can save them. I need your help. And, uh, and then the, the first prime, Teal'c, says, many have said that. And then he shoots Apophis's soldiers and throws his, his um, uh, staff to O'Neill. And he goes, you're the only one I think can do it. <laughs> and then they 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 shoot the the uh, soldiers they bust out the, the the prison they run back they have a final battle with the gould on apophis's homeworld and then they get back home lo and behold as it turns out kowalski o'neill's um number one man who's in charge of sg2 that he wanted command. to give command that he that he recommended the command to Gets infected by a gould at the very end. And then on episode two, we find out what happens. Anyway, that being said, that's the synopsis of SG-1. Uh, and the first pilot. episode. The pilot. Yes. So, thoughts? Overall, not bad. It's in plot. They do pick up where they left off. So, there's some payoff there for fans of the original movie right they go back to Andros to find Daniel and you know he's kind of become kind of a big deal there because they helped free them from the owls from of Ra. so from Ra Ra. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't say Raza Ghoul. I should have said that one. I said the Owls of Ghoul. But oh, you know. my joke was better. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, but mine was a deeper cut. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, anyway, one thing I did notice is that this this thing did everything possible to wipe out. Anybody who survived the first movie, aside from the two lead characters. Yes. So when I did, I went back and I read a synopsis of the movie and the only only three members of the military team came back alive. In the movie, O'Neill, Kowalski and. Uh, Ferret. The guy with the slicked hair in the in the pilot, right? Yeah. So he's the guy who gets blasted back on Abydos, who 
who tells everybody what's going on, you know, the, mm-hmm. the coordinates, and then you never see him again. Yep. All he has a bad, has some bad luck. So you, we eventually don't see him again either. The two humans from Abydos who gets kidnapped and turned into, you know, these evil trill. Uh, Not trill. Not trill. Yeah. No. Gould. <laughs> right. Right. The 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 Goulden's mustard people, and mm. so they both disappear, and now they're on the other side. So now you have Kurt Russell Light and David Sp- uh, James Spader Light, the only two members of the original movie team who are left. So they've built. The crew of the SG-1 adding a new general, adding another scientist, and then you have Tilk, who's now on board. Okay, yes. got it. You're... Who, who, who was always against the gold. Your war... Was never in a position to be able to fight them. Right, your war, your Tyrannosazi, your... your enemy who's now on your team or your odo and can provide insight to the the new the new lands they're going to right or the uh the uh good sharon from battlestar yep the the athena yep so got it not bad you know and of course i am bleeding into the third episode or second episode, or whatever we want to team it. The second, the, yeah, let's just call it the second the episode, episode after the pilot. Uh, you know, not bad. I will say this: the Air Force might control the gate, but they wouldn't be sending Air Force dudes repeatedly through. You would likely have. Army or Marines as your ground forces. I always wonder about that. Why, which always probably explains just how terrible they handle automatic weapons. No, nobody <laughs> worth their salt does a spray. That's called spray and pray. That's why you don't hit anybody. <laughs> he aims in these shows. Okay, Here's all right. Answer. That's a that's a minor thing, and and later they get more refined because the Air Force does advise them about this crap. Yeah. So here's here's one of the biggest. I have two real big beefs with the how the show goes. Okay, I'll get to my primary beef with the one episode later, but. Plot hole. At the very beginning of the movie, they make a big show of them kidnapping the female airman. Mm-hmm. They talk about her. You know, that's one of the things that the general was saying to get Colonel O'Neill out of retirement, too, to rescue him. Then you see her struggling against the enemy and then being taken in and testing her and then they straight up murder her and that's it you never hear about her no one says where is she you're right it's the best friend in the movie taken 
It's the blonde it girl. Is, this is this is really bad <laughs> writing, and it's extremely <laughs> bad military. You're you're taking a personal affront to this. I understand. No, but but here's the thing: it's just really bad writing too. I you, get it. It's 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 a, something that disappears in the second half. They make yes. a big deal out of it, and then there's no mention of it at all. The least it could have been is, hey, where's the airman? Yes. Or where's the other human? Or where's Some the one who had a couple throwaway lines, and they could have done it to at least because, do justice to her character. And one of the things that I thought that they would do is because they made a big deal of when she's in the harem, she's still wearing her dog tags. So here's what I was expecting. You know, the them dude maybe holding up, hey, there was one who probably had something like this. And that's where Tilak would say, oh, she they, she didn't make it. Okay. I mean, there's just nothing. There's no nothing in the debrief. When they get back, there's literally nothing. It's bad writing, especially if you're going to make it a plot point early on and it just disappears. Okay. I agree with that. I agree with that. But that, that, that that's bad writing. Okay. And two, they Does really, that negate really, the whole episode? It makes it... It knocks it a, down a, a letter grade for me. Okay. That part of it, because that's that was something that they kind of touted as like a plot, as a significant plot point. It's basically yes. how the whole show gets started. And I would be lying if I said I didn't think differently when I was trying to re, re you know, recreate or remember like what was going on in this pilot for this episode that we're doing tonight. So, yes, I, I completely agree with you. Why would they go to Apophis's planet in the first place? And then, it, well, it was to get the airmen uh, the, the, that was wow. kidnapped. And then there's no mention of, like, looking for her. <laughs> They're just there. Right. And it's really to look for Daniel's do- uh, uh, wife, which, it, it, I mean, then is becomes... another thing. But, yeah. Right. But it, even the general stops talking about it. She completely disappears. So it's it's bad plot point. Okay. It just, okay, she dies. All right, well, all right. Well, there's going to be at least some mention of this, right? No, there's no mention of this. This, is, this was it's something that kind of pulled me out of the I understand. Well, why? And, you know, we know I'm military. Uh, I was military, okay? I can beat that horse into the ground. All the bad military things that I saw out there, including all the uh, atrocious, blatant sexism and ridiculous rank discrepancies that keep showing up. How Kowalski always wore captain's bars in his camouflage uniform, but major rank in his dress uniform. And I was a lieutenant colonel in the movie. He got demoted two or three times. (laughs) So, well, I you mean, think, if it, you think that's bad in in the show, in the movie, O'Neill is spelled with one L, but in the show, it's spelled with two. Yeah. I, oh my God. <laughs> and I don't know any Kowalskis who actually whose last name is spelled with a Y at the end instead of an I. But uh, that's a good point. I know I, the only Kowalski I know is spelled with an I at the end too. <laughs> so you know I why mean, they did it, that? I think they did it to avoid the uh, same with O'Neill with two L's. Is to avoid um, uh, uh, 
paying, paying the, the original writer. writer. Yeah. Which is really shitty when you're build, basing a TV show. If you can't I agree. Right, I agree. I agree. It, but but the rank issue, the rank issue is unforgivable. It's just something that can be solved with open source documents. You could pick yep. up a book or, you know, or something. It's not hard. That's the, no. that's the thing. It's this. I mean, look, I'm willing to forgive a lot of things in sci-fi and movies, but you know, I mean, there are certain things that will just pull you out because of who you are. But for me, you know, the the missing airman was a big plot issue that I I had a lot of problems with because it was like, oh, one of these like main threads that just disappears, you know. So there's no there's no real closure on that one. Sure. But I mean, the writing overall was all right. You know, like the interactions, there was definitely some clunky, like, let's just face it. There's, you know, and you'll find this in a lot of military stuff. Anyway, there was a lot of dick measuring. Okay. Oh, Particularly that, and, and, that entire scene in the briefing when they introduce Carter. It's, it's definitely old and hackneyed now. I will say this. That, you know, some of this stuff took place in a military before I was in it. So, I I rewatched a few episodes of JAG lately, and some of the ways, you know, things were perceived and, and whatnot. Less, you know, there was far fewer women, in, in per- particularly in positions of authority and in combat-related issues. So, I get it. But they kind of leaned heavily into the whole. This Uber was 1997. Macho. It was, and I, I I admit that. But man, did they really hammer that hard! And it felt atrocious rewatching it tonight. It just it it did feel atrocious. I agree with that completely. That did not age well in the slightest. I will say that his relationship with Sam takes a pretty much 180 degree turn pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, he completely respects her and he completely relies on her intelligence in order to get them through everything. Right. And and I'll say this, it gets it gets to that point pretty quickly. It's it's it doesn't drag on, but they like they kind of beat that horse. I know, it, it, and, it, it, and I'm not even dust. saying it gets to that point in this episode, in the pilot episode. It doesn't. But later, like, uh, uh, there's an episode where they're stranded on an uh, on an ice planet, and O'Neill is uh, severely hurt, and she's she's hurt, but not as badly, and she's trying to get uh-huh. the Stargate working. And right. they're close to dying, and and he, she's the only reason why he survives, and she figures out how to be able to to get uh, help to them. And yeah, I'm not saying that that's the sole reason why it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big turning point in their relationship overall. But right, yeah. Let's 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 talk about why you're so pissed at me. Uh, yeah, and then, Let and, us then and then after that, I'll I will talk about the virtues of this show. Yes, 
Well, I did not realize <laughs> that this show had originally started on Showtime. I forgot. Okay. I so forgot. I'm watching because I remember seeing it on syndication and on sci fi when right. I did see that it was running, right? And so in syndication, get, it was not awkward. It was not chopped awkwardly in any way, shape, or form. So in the pilot, one of the things that they got into was when the ghouls or whatever they are are looking. (laughs) Right. You're already already so derisive. You're already so derisive to this show. When the the bad guys bring Mm. the captured women in and they show you the female airmen and they show you uh what's her name shuri shari something like that shari they bring the both in at different times to uh to see if they're worthy of being the vessel for the queen Mm -hmm. and they strip the airmen off but all you see is like her upper back okay now, the outfit was pretty sheer, so you could see a lot anyway, but that isn't something that probably it was still would passable on network television. Likely. And then, you know, they murder her because she doesn't pass their test. But yep. then they bring in Share and they strip her full, full frontal nudity. Okay, so I'm. Yep. My. <laughs> I'm watching this midday because I figure it's going to be like Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, because I remember it being on network TV. And there is no swearing in this show, by the way, up to this point. Swearing, no gratuitous blood and guts. So I, I look and, oh my God. And so now I'm like pausing it and like making sure that my kid who is doing distance learning this week is not coming in. (laughs) And now I'm like standing where I can see down the hall to where she's working and then seeing the (laughs) for like most of the rest of the episode to see if there's more. Oh, so you're on guard at that point. You yes. didn't even know that that was the only scene, so you couldn't even relax. Oh, oh. What you should have done, you should have paused it and just asked me. I would have gotten back yeah. to you pretty quick, but you wouldn't know that. I mean, also working, trying not to, to do that to you, but I'll tell you, man, that. That was not cool. (laughs) I was lucky. Even worse was I really I was working out. I was on the exercise bike. Oh, so you you can't you can't you can't interrupt your exercise. So I fortunately it just happened to be right when I was finishing up. So but Mm. that's that threw me for a curve. Now, I'm glad to know that there's nothing else. And look, I'll say this. I am not opposed to artistic choice in nudity. I don't think it needs to be overly gratuitous or overly sexual for no reason. 
I don't believe that we need that, but I'm not for no reason. But I right, it it came out of left field for me because, I mean, remember how hot the water got when they showed part of T'Pol's ass on Enterprise that one episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they did side boob. They did side and under boob on T'Pol. They did but for side some reason it was part of her ass. Like, but for some reason, the the hot water was on her ass. I don't get that, but whatever. Uh, I don't know. Look, sci-fi has had a bad run of severe objectification of women. We'll go right out and say that, okay? And I'll admit, as a teenager, I loved seeing the women in the skin-tight costumes and and whatnot. And I gotta say this. I freely admit... I definitely like a nice female form. So if it's on the TV, I will appreciate it. That being said, I'm also not a horny teenager. I'm an, a mature adult who I do not believe in the objectification of people, let alone one part of the, the you know, one gender of our populace. Okay. And I definitely don't want it in the middle of the day with my kids at home. <laughs> And I agree with you. And it was, I forgot. I completely forgot because the producers of Stargate SG-1 didn't want that nude scene in there in the yeah. first place. Please, please tell me about that. Okay. Okay. So the MGM got funding through Showtime to do an original show, Stargate SG-1. And Showtime, being the cable show that they are, was like, we want the most amount of viewers possible. So we need this full frontal nude scene in this pilot to, it was to, Game to kind of, of Thrones tease. Stuff, yeah, it was Game of Thrones level stuff to kind of tease the audience to keep watching more because yeah. they don't care about the show. They care about the TNA. So the producers like, well, we don't really want to do it, but OK, we'll do it. And they did it. And forever since they've regretted it forever since. I don't blame and, them because it kind of it out of I mean then you have to have that awkward recut you know right for for syndication you have and it, it's so out of it's really out of character when you think about it for, it's completely for the show. out of character the show doesn't show blood it doesn't swear and yet they show they show full frontal nudity I completely agree with you or <laughs> I don't even want to say what my roommate said when I was watching it in college. <laughs> what, what, go ahead. You <laughs> no, can you you can I've church never, it up a little. I'll bleep it. I'll bleep it. Uh, so I'm sitting here watching the pilot episode, and Shaori is unclothed and she's standing there. My roommate um, walks in and he goes, "Hey, what's up?" And he goes, "Oh, <gasps> <laughs> I'm just like, oh god." See, what were you, 18, 19 years old with your... I was, I was 21. Yeah. They're like, you know, um, and I'm, I'm not going to, I'll bleep, I'm going to bleep that word out, by the way, uh, full disclosure. But uh, it begins with a T <laughs> and ends with an S. So, um, but yeah, it's completely out of left field. And I'm sorry, I, I but it, they came out with the DVD movie. 
to sell separately uh, called Children of the Gods that they completely edited out all the nudity because that was their original vision. They didn't want that nudity in there. So the original the original writers didn't like that, and I completely agree with you. It was superfluous and unnecessary. Now, thank God you didn't have to talk to your daughter about this. <laughs> um, and Look, maybe we should talk about children seeing accidental nudity on TV another time. Because <laughs> right. that happens way too often. Um, especially with goddamn Netflix. I hit the table if you didn't hear that. Um, I did. I chose to uh, ignore it and, and focus my um, my harassment of you in other ways. <laughs> now, with with your ire, I, I, I am completely sorry. Now. It, it's okay. I kind of figured that that was something that slipped through your sensors. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes. Um, now I freely admit that I'm lucky. I look, dude. BBC America runs Star Trek like all day, so I'll sit down and I'll watch Star Trek if I'm home, you know, mm-hmm. just because it's on. Because there's some good Star Trek, right? Yeah, I do the same. Stargate is base was basically I assumed was much like Star Trek or any it of the other. Absolutely is, except for right. the pilot. <laughs> Right. It would be like if, you know, Troy or Yar had a nude scene surreptitiously in the middle of Encounter at Farpoint. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, that being said, this show is more serialized than any other show I had ever watched except for Gargoyles up to this point. And you know how serialized Gargoyles was. I do. Okay. You, you know, you, you you say that, and then we have B5 and DS9 that... Oh, um, yeah. Well, DS9 didn't I, really get that serialized. Gargoyles, until the second half of the series. Right. And Gargoyles was the first show where I would, I would see... When, I, when they started an episode, they would do last time on Gargoyles. And it wasn't the previous episode... It was an episode like a dozen episodes ago, reintroducing the audience to a concept that they started. And then this episode continues off with it after all those dozen episodes that already happened. Stargate SG-1 Mm. does the same thing. Like they remind the audience of what transpired 12 episodes or two seasons ago of what happened because they're continuing the overall arc of the story. That was the first sci-fi show I ever saw. B5 didn't do that. No. No. And neither... I mean, Deep Space Nine did a little... Yes. They were learning... I think they were learning from SG-1. Maybe. But, uh, but yes. But that whole last time, or previously, on SG-1... Well, now they do that on a lot of shows. They do. This was the archetype. This was the beginning of that. And I will say it is fun to watch Earth, namely the United States, but I'm biased, um, 
you know, use the Stargate, explore the universe, and there's really good sci-fi aspects to it. There really are. Um, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of like in the first season there's a lot of like original sci-fi not original but like typical sci-fi tropes like they go to a planet they artificially age uh, and they have to figure out why all those little problems but then they find you remember Catherine Catherine was the old woman that discovered From... the Stargate as a child right. she is reintroduced into this show and it was her fiance back in the 40s who went through the Stargate first. And Daniel Jackson found the archives. And they ah. go and they bring Catherine back and they go through to, to find him. And that's when they discover the four races, the four ancients, the ancients, the furlings, um, the, the not the Tosk, the. I don't know, the four races, and then Earth later becomes the fifth race. You heard me discuss this before. Yeah, I do. Uh, and I remember, I think it's in the second episode where... The Asgard. And then... Right, where basically Tillich says there's, uh, like, he's encountered humans before, and apparently humans kind of uh, were, like, taken and seated across the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, definitely saves on your special effects budget. <laughs> and it makes it uh, easier. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> but and then they the, the humans drop the tooth, truth bomb on them that, yeah, uh, life started here for the yeah. human race. He's like, this is your <laughs> mythical home that they came to. And they they let him know, yeah, you the people you serve with, uh, served were like came here, got worshipped by gods, and started taking all these people and dropping them all over the universe. Apparently, yeah, they used so, our culture to do it. They used right. our culture or cultures, I guess. I mean, I don't mean to be flippant about it, um, but yeah, and, and it is a fun show, and you get to see. You get to see the them like build off of new technologies, off of original stories. So there's the serialized stories, there's the bottle shows. It's all great, like every other show, obviously. Like, but right, um, it was popular enough to garner at least two full spinoff shows. Yep, uh, Stargate Atlantis, which is just as great, if not better, than SG One. And Atlantis uh, is like uh, an ancient spaceship or something. That was originally in Antarctica and then blasts off to the Pegasus Galaxy, yes. Okay. And then and then Stargate uh, Universe, less well-received because they started to go for a dark tone, which you never go dark with Stargate. <laughs> but they did. I don't know, dude. It was pretty dark. What, SG-1? Yeah, the pilot, at least, was pretty dark. Oh, yeah, it's dark. You know, a man gets cuckolded uh, with his wife being stolen and everything? Absolutely. That's that's goddamn dark. That just drove me freaking nuts for the whole, but, like, first way, five seasons. Yeah, the ugh, the stomach aliens, that the was Jaffa. creepy as fuck. Yeah. yeah. That's gross, dude. 
It is gross, but it becomes it just it just becomes a part of the nomenclature. And it is they have a bunch of stories about the Jaffa that are so much fun and interesting. It's they're kind of like Klingons, but they're not in any way, you know. And they oh, and we we <laughs> we get introduced to Teal'c's mentor, Master Braytac, who is awesome. He is great. If you want to continue watching this, you're going to run into Master Braytac in the first season. He is fantastic. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. You're not convinced, I, I, and I, I'm, I'm perturbed by this, but I understand. Let me put it this way. <laughs> I am not opposed to continuing with it. But. So, time. <laughs> Time is the fire of which we burn. We we've already covered this track. I understand. Look, but... uh, I, I I will say this: I don't hate it. In fact, I even kind of like it. I kind of want to see where some of these plot points are going. Hopefully, the ones that are actually continued instead of just thrown off into the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, but. God, I hope that they clean their shit up because they do some some it of the stuff. gets more consistent. It, and yeah, and, and I'm not even just talking about the military stuff. Of course, you know, early seasons of a lot of shows can be rough. You know, there's enough that people want to continue with, but I mean, shit, Firefly. If you watch it in its correct order from start to finish, was pretty tightly done. And it still didn't get out of its first season. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was far, far and away more put together in the first season, like TNG. Oh, I would say even DS9. Hell yeah. But (laughs) it is what it is, man. So anyway. My two cents, Stargate SG-1, a fantastic experience. It's a mix between Star Trek and the real world and the MCU. Before the MCU came about. Trust me, there's a lot more humor in this show later on. Like, it really it really does the quippy... It, it taught the MCU how to be the MCU. Well, and I'm goddamn I mean, sure I, I will... Kevin Feige is a fan. Goddamn sure. I like the fact that uh, I like the tissue joke. Yeah. Thanks. Send more. <laughs> I'm just surprised that his Sharpie didn't run out of ink on a desert planet after a year. Well, what would you know after being in a desert area for several months that gets to 135 degrees? Dude, let me tell you, when they start showing <laughs> the desert seeds, I'm like... I mean, and and where I was was not generally that kind of desert. It was more of the hard pack desert, if you know what I mean. Not the dune, mm-hmm. the sand dunes. I was like, eh, still, I, I'll pass. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that they're not spending all their time on this one planet. Yeah, I yeah. will tattooing myself out of this picture. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, okay. Ultimately, this is what I want to know. Are you open to more episodes or do you think you're done? 
And you're not going to insult me either way. I'm trying to insult you, but I don't insult you by don't disliking your show. I just do that in person. We all fucking friends. know that. We all fucking know that. Okay. I, I, I am, I am open to watching more. Okay. Okay. And now this conversation is done. <laughs> Look, I know we were trying to get down to the root of, you know, the star, your love of Stargate. Now, I, I hope we've reached that. Well, I, I loved. OK, so here here's what was the thing about we got another five minutes, maybe. Um, what was great about Stargate is it, it was I discovered it right at the, the tail end or twilight of Star Trek Enterprise. Right. I couldn't watch Star Trek Enterprise regularly, but I was able to watch SG-1 a lot, mm. you know, sailing the, the, the seven seas, if you know what I mean. So um, it was a long road. It was a long road and getting from there to here. Um, been a long time, uh, but I was able to watch. I was and able to watch a lot of found your way. Yes, <laughs> I could see my time coming back. I, I'll touch the sky eventually, uh, <laughs> but I'm not going to go back no more and I'm not going to change my mind. All right. God damn it. <laughs> We're not well, doing this anymore. That's because you have faith of the heart. <laughs> All right, we're done. Um, no, uh, SG-1 came at an interesting time in my life where I couldn't watch Star Trek consistently. It was getting weird. It was in its twilight time. It was a post-9-11 world, too. And I, I, I found, oh, this is an interesting thought. I didn't think about this um, outright, but I liked the idea in a post-9-11 world watching stargate the united states finding an element outside of their realm and really pulling it together and succeeding in something that they just were completely caught off guard on i.e being invaded by aliens and there's a whole world out there now like i found that reassuring i know it's not rational but i liked that <laughs> i liked it I, mm. I i know it sounds naive and stupid i get it but Look. it was nice. It was it was nice, and it was good sci-fi. It was intelligent, you know. Uh, it was intelligent laughter. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, and, and hopefully Amazon will r reprise the show. Uh, every uh, everyone from every major ep show is is on board, except for Richard Dean Anderson, which is okay. Um. But he, he loves the show, too. He'll reprise his role every now and then. But Amazon bought it. Amazon has the rights now. So hopefully, you know, uh, SG-1 is on Netflix until the end of this month of November. And we'll see. Oh, then it goes to Amazon? Not explicitly stated, but probably. Yeah, because they own oh. all the rights. Oh. Then it definitely sounds like they're going to try to build up for a... Reboot, spin-off, sequel. They'll do a spin-off sequel. They're not going to do a reboot. I, they, every major actor has like signed on and talked to Amazon already. So they're like, oh, oh, and the original producers have Brad Wright um, and Peter DeLuise 
They're already, they're already, yeah, Dom DeLuise's son. Um, one of his sons. One of his sons. Both the sons were involved in this show, actually. Um, but yeah, they're all signed on with Amazon, and they're talking, so we'll see. I think I think the future is bright with Stargate. I just um, not the same feeling I have about Star Trek. So <laughs> I'm I'm very much looking forward to Strange New Worlds, Picard season two. They keep I trying even to tell can't... us that they learned their lesson, and without telling us they learned their lesson. But you know, I get it. Got dead air. Fingers, fingers <laughs> crossed. So, does that bring us to the ultimate ending or what? I think so. All right. Well, I guess that's the ultimate ending. And until next time, until then, you guys keep dreaming and we'll keep working with a huh, feeling. So long, everyone. We'll see you on the high ground. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alpha Site Productions, produced by DT Cavman and PS McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow PS McKay on Twitter at PS McKay, or go to thosesci-fi-guys.com for past episode information.